everyone, it's Judy Warner. Welcome back to this week's Ecosystem Podcast. So glad you can join us again this week. Do you know what you get when you cross an EE that's doing complex PCB design with a video camera? You get our next guest, Robert Ferranic. Did you know Robert Ferranic has amassed over seven and a half million views on his YouTube channel? And he's also trained tens of thousands of more through his platform that he founded, FedAvil Academy. We're going to talk about the man behind the training, how he came to make that transition from design engineering into training, and why he thinks online education is so critical today. He's also going to give us a sneak peek of a new platform he's developed called the FedEvil platform. He's making a home for other experts besides himself to host content so he can have a home for lots of good paid training by experts all across the industry. I hope you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Robert. A quick shout out to our sponsor, Signal Integrity Journal, Keysight Technology, and our newest sponsor, Transign Technologies. I've put links to them below, and thank you to them for making this podcast possible. I've also put links below to Robert's content, and also please, please, please go over and sign up to a hopefully vibrant community that I'm developing at thedoubleecosystem.com, and you can download some free resources from Dr. Eric Bogatin. Thanks again for joining. Now let's jump into our conversation with Robert Ferranic. Hi, Robert. It's so good to see you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Ecosystem Podcast. Hi, Judy. It's so good to be with you. And I hope that our listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation, which is going to tell us a little bit about your personal journey to um, going from a, a complex motherboard designer into a really well-respected uh, PCB and hardware development engineer. So why don't you start there and give our audience a sense of if anyone doesn't know you, which is hard to believe, but um, give a brief overview of your background um, from university to your professional background and then how you started FedEvil and what is FedEvil? Um, okay, so uh, first, uh, at university, I uh, learned all the theory, but I was lucky we had like practical project. And uh, so even I was still at university, I, I have got some practical experience in designing PCBs. Mm -hmm. uh, then I decided to stay and do PhD study, but... Uh, I've got really good offer from a company and, you know, I, I decided to leave the university and move to the real world of designing boards. I uh, had no experience, uh, like, uh, I had experience with simple boards, but, right. you know, it's like, uh, it's not professional design. I only mm -hmm. had some kind of, like, building... Uh, I call it usually, or usually I say it's a big difference between designing for yourself or designing uh, as a hobby or something and designing professional boards. So when I joined company, I had no idea how to do it professionally, but somehow we found a way and I was designing, I was very lucky. I was designing uh, boards running operating systems. So I learned some, uh, I learned how to design some complex boards 
And based on my experience in this company, I was able to find a really good job in the UK where I was uh, <clears throat> designing even more complex boards like uh, Intel i5, i7 boards, Intel Atom boards. And then uh, I decided to leave company and uh, try something by myself. Uh, I wanted to do some freelancing. I tried it. Uh, I, it's not like, <laughs> I think it's not something for me. And right. then by accident, I basically started uh, teaching people about how to design a board. So based on my previous experience uh, designing motherboards, by accident, I started teaching people about how to do it. And that's basically so, what happened to me. So when you talk about when you first left university and you started designing professional level boards, was that a company where you had mentors and people that could help you get up to speed or did you just kind of have to learn your way through? Like, what was that experience like from going from doing, say, senior capstone or projects in university to building complex, you know, professional PCBs? No, we had, there was basically no hardware department when I joined the company. And it was actually two of us. Uh, it was me and a friend of mine. And he was uh, uh, he was my friend at university. So we both were same age. And we had no idea how to do it properly. So we basically we went through all the kind of uh, mistakes what we could do. <laughs> and I think I think probably the um, most common. I think these are there are some kind of mistakes which everyone will make, like I don't know, yes. mm, swapping pins or you know, usually footprints are like something what you need, what everyone has to go through and and find out like oh next time I need to be careful about this. But uh, I think the mm, probably biggest problem what. Uh, what I found in the company was that we had no system in uh, in how to store the projects, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had no versioning. We just uh, kept working on, on the current project. And it was, yeah, it was very difficult. I, I remember the time, yeah, when I sent PCB version one to production and I, I continued working on on the same board and when I received PCB back I had no documentation to the version mm. one because I already changed it so I learned like oh always when you finish a version freeze it store it somewhere so you know what you send to production right which version is it yeah I'll tell you you know my years at um my years in the PCB fabrication and assembly side, that was one thing because I had left the industry for a little more than a decade and then came back. And when I left, people still had like physical blueprints and versions. And when I came back, of course, everything was electronic and they just send us the Gerber files. And maybe if we were lucky, they'd send a readme file. And I'm like, what surface finish, what tolerances, what IPC spec. And so we'd have to go back and 
And I'm like, why is this happening? Right. And there, there seems to Ben, you and I were talking about this the other day that there was this weird transition time where people used to be like, say, draftsmen that learned how to become, you know, kind of, we call it tribal knowledge, right? They learned by doing, but those people started to sort of retire, age out. And then EEs, who typically were just doing circuit design, started doing taking on the board layout. Did that happen? I mean, that's what I observe happening in the U.S. Did you see that happening in Europe and other areas as well? Mm, I don't know. I, I usually work, I only work like in two companies and uh, mm. and right now mm, I, I, can't, I don't see how other companies are doing all this yes. by themselves. Yeah. But exactly what you mentioned, for example, about this, uh, they just send the Gerber files. That's exactly yeah. what we were doing. And yeah. it's because because we had no process. You know, we had no idea how PCBs manufactured. We had no yeah. idea how boards are built. And and this was, uh, I think this is something what every uh, hardware design engineer should go through. They should go and visit PCB factory. They should go and visit assembly house. So, they know how everything is done and then they can um, they they know exactly why they should for example send them specific files or notes or this. yes i have been telling design engineers who, whoever will listen to me saying go to your board shop go to your board shop in fact somebody mentioned that on linkedin recently judy warner says you go to the book i'm like yes you listened <laughs> Um, but it's interesting to hear you say that as a as a um, hardware designer. So it sounds like you went through a painful kind of learning on the job, you know, kind of situation. How did you decide after trying to freelance and realize that wasn't a good fit for you? How did you realize that you could help other engineers maybe make that learning curve? less painful and help help teach them through what like how did you get there from hardware designer to I want to teach other people what was the point at which you connected the two together so as I mentioned before it was kind of by accident uh, because uh, when I decided to become a freelancer I uh, had to write a blog I had to oh, I start doing videos so uh, so I could find new clients. And uh, basically what happened, uh, once you start posting some content out, you will receive a lot of questions back. Yes. And, uh, and many times these questions, they were like uh, very similar or exactly the same. Oh, I see. So uh, mm, what I did, I uh, decided to create a uh, form like um, Excel, not Excel, Google Sp Google Form, something like that. It was exactly it. Google Form, actually. Right. And uh, I described, like, uh, I would like to create this kind of course, which is going to cover 
answers to all your questions. And if you are interested, leave your email. Tell me if uh, you would like to pay or how and how much you would like to pay. And when the course is finished, I will send you an email. And uh, I told I I told these people like if hundred uh, people signed up uh, who are willing to pay hundred dollars, then I will make the course because then you know it would cover my expenses. Your cost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I had to do freelance. I had to keep making money. So when I will of be course. doing a course, I had to get the money back. And actually, like two hundred people. Um, <laughs> built this form who wow. were willing to pay hundred dollars so I had to do it and uh, then uh, uh, I think I told this couple of times before like when I when I uh, published this course online it was like very exciting because uh, I just could see like on my PayPal account like going like you know 500 1000 2000 in one day wow. and I was like first I was like oh that's cool that's cool and then when there was like I don't know 5,000 and more I was like oh what if they don't like the course and <laughs> what what if I have to send all the money back and and people will start complaining uh, so it was also kind of stress but uh, yeah. people liked the course and uh and I was like, oh, maybe there is opportunity or I could try. And that's how I actually started teaching people. That's a great story. <laughs> and you and I, it's funny, the more I get to know you and hear about your journey, the more I see so many crossovers because I was selling printed circuit boards for the RF and microwave industry. And I realized really intelligent RF designers were moving into doing their own board design and there was a lot they didn't know. And so I went on LinkedIn in the microwave journal group and I said, hey everyone, I'm gonna write an article about you know best practices for like design for manufacturing because I'm getting lots of boards that are designed but they can't be built. And I said, what would you like to learn about and in that thread, 63 people answered. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is a need. And then the publisher of Microwave Journal, um, Pat Hindle, which, by the way, Signal Integrity Journal, Horizon House, owns um, both Microwave Journal and Signal Integrity Journal. And so we became friends. And Signal Integrity Journal is now a podcast sponsor. So, so shout out to them and thank you. Um, so Pat said, uh, ding dong, <laughs> I don't think this is one article. I think it's a series. And so I called him up and he said, you want to do a guest blog on Microwave Journal's website? I'm like, I don't feel like I can, but okay. And it actually ended up being popular. And that's how I started blogging. So you and I have similar it was never by accident. I always call myself the accidental marketer. You are the accidental. <laughs> you're the accidental hardware teacher. I, um, I actually wanted to do. I wanted to design software. I when oh. I left the company, uh, my when I left the my daily job, I wanted to program a website and you know make money from websites. I I really didn't want to design boards but uh, 
but uh, actually a friend of mine he asked me like oh i have this client and and they need this small board it, it was not small board I like see. processor memories and everything okay i will help you okay i will do it for, and and then like for two years i've been actually freelancing and doing pcb layout and even i didn't want to do it do you think that helped you though get more experience and prepare you for the training that you would ultimately provide? Uh, it was a very good experience. I uh, yeah. uh, I think it helped me to understand uh, how I would like to model my business in future. Because I uh, when I was doing freelancing, I. Uh, I could make more money than what I was doing before, a little bit more money. Uh, but uh, when I was not working, I was not making uh -huh. money. And it was like right. super difficult because, right. uh, you know, you go on holiday and you are thinking like, oh, I just wasted so much money and I didn't make uh, anything. And then, oh, I really hope I'm not going to be sick because when you are sick, yeah. you are not making money. And... Uh, and then, you know, this is what helped me like, oh, maybe I should uh, come up with some idea. I always uh, I always say it like this. Uh, I should come up with an idea which when I go to bed and I check my bank account and when I wake up and I check my bank account, there will be more money. So, right. So when but this I opportunity with courses come up, I was like, oh, yes. this may be the way which I could go. So what year did you start recording those courses? Why? I no, what, what year? How long ago? Oh, was yeah, that? Uh, 2013. 2013. So, yeah. so you've been at it for almost a decade now. Um, I remember when I first started seeing your content, those courses were uh, on, I think, Udemy. So... I think it'd be interesting for our listeners that don't know about FedEvil. So Robert and I are connected on LinkedIn and we've, we've done some work in the past together um, around his teaching. But um, when, so you saw the bank account going up and the, that people were liking it. And then you started creating those courses, right? Which will allow you to go on vacation or get sick. <laughs> like what, what was the initial response as you started putting out more um, professional curated courses? I think on Udemy is where you started. Um, what was the uh, response and what was your audience size like? So um, I would like to correct a little bit. I didn't start okay. on Udemy. Uh, oh, okay. I, actually, I created my own platform. Uh, initial. I, I don't think I'm not oh, sure in even the beginning if Udemy was available at that time. Okay. Uh, so I created my own platform. Uh, oh, I didn't and, know that. Uh, and uh, basically, I use Udemy. I still use Udemy just to promote. Uh, I see. And I only have that one course because uh, Udemy is super cheap. It means uh, even it looks like maybe uh, you sell courses for, I don't know, $100 or something. They never right. sell courses for $100. They, they sell courses for $10 usually. And they oh. take a lot. So normally you get like $4 per sale. On wow. Your and uh, 
so that's the reason why I didn't want to put there my courses, only the cheapest one, because, uh, for example, the advanced PCB layout course, it costed me like $100,000 to record it. And you would never get like, you know, yeah, even cover the expenses. Right. And and some people may ask like, why it should be, or why it can be so expensive, yeah? So I'm going to explain a little bit. So okay. Because I wanted a really good advanced PCB layout course, we had to design a board. You can't just take someone else's board right. and teach about it because of the, uh, yeah. you know, intellectual the property. IP, right. Yeah. And also we wanted to go through the whole process of designing so we could uh-huh. teach it better. Right. So, and it took like one year and I had to pay someone else to actually help me with this. And then you have to go, you have to build it. Building this board is like, I don't know, $10,000 just for PCBs. It was $5,000 for, for model. There are actually two boards in, in this project. Uh, so you have to build it. You have to go to test house. So you need to be sure what you are going to teach about is really well designed. Right. This costs money. And, you know, it really was like $100,000. And I, I wanted to point out this because sometimes people think like, you just sit down, you hit record, and you blah, 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 and then you ask <laughs> for $100. No, no, that's yeah. not how it works when you right. try to do your best. But I think that's part of why people like the quality of what you're doing, because it's truly like step-by-step step with with a custom board that you design and you'd already worked out all of that. And so I think it contributes to the originality and the quality of the content. Um, so what was your, back to my question about like, what was your following like early on? Like, I know you said people answer on the phone, on the form, mm-hmm. you know, say 200 and you saw your bank account going up. But when you first said, okay, I'm going to provide professional training like, what was your audience size like, you know, in that uh, first year or two? Mm-hmm. It was much easier in 2013, or I think I started this in 2010 when I left the my daily job. It was much easier uh, because there was not so many uh, YouTube videos, uh, and it was still the blog era. So... Uh, uh, I think I didn't have like many, uh, it was like maybe a couple of thousand, but they were, all these people, they were very active because there was not much information about what I was sharing. Yeah. Uh, the, I think that's one of the biggest problems that uh, now it is a little bit better, but you know, when people work in uh, big companies on expensive projects, very often they can't share the knowledge. And then the problem is uh, when uh, someone who is leaving university or, or junior engineers, they have like really um, lot of problems to actually learn to become better because sometimes the senior engineers, they don't want to tell them or, or they don't have way to access to these people who already know how to do it. Right. And uh, I think that's why I was able to actually get these 200 people because there was not much information about 
you know, doing these high-speed designs. Yeah, and I think that's so valuable. And I've actually talked to people on the industry side, say for the U.S. defense primes, and they're, I mean, it's a hot job market for either high-speed digital and then also particularly people now that understand SI, you know, signal integrity, power integrity, EMI, they can't find the people because what they want to do is hire people that have some hands-on experience, but the universities aren't teaching it. So I think your courses help fill that gap a little bit. And you also certify with your training. So for those listeners, so, um, I'll, I'll link all of Robert's materials in the show notes for our listener and for our audience, because I will share his YouTube channel with you, but also Fedable Academy, where you can go look at his stuff. But while I was preparing mm-hmm. for this podcast, I hadn't looked at it for a while. So tell our listeners, at the risk of embarrassing you, Robert, because you're very humble, what are the numbers of students you've been through your courses and how, what's your following like on YouTube these days? So I don't know exactly how many people bought the courses. It is in thousands, but uh, we never really counted exactly because we had a couple of platforms as we moved and it always right. keeps changing. But uh, yeah, uh, on YouTube, it's getting better, but I think it's harder. So uh, I'm not sure if someone is interested to um, know about this, but... Uh, as you know, I started uh, doing videos about Altium. That's how I started. And it's a very and that's specific how we met. topic. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And a uh, little bit later, I found out it's a very specific topic. So there is like a very big group of engineers, but only like very small group are Altium designer users. So for a very long time, even I was trying, I had like, 20,000 subscribers on on YouTube, and I couldn't grow bigger. And then I found out, oh, it's maybe because of these limitations of the Altium. So Mm -hmm. I uh, started doing like more generic videos, which could help also people who are using different tools. Yes. And that's what I'm trying to do now. And Mm -hmm. as I say, it's getting better. And I've got almost 80,000 subscribers, but... I, uh, I'm not sure if it's like a lot or not. I don't know. I would like to get It's a lot because you're <sighs> teaching PCB design, you know, like you're the only one in the world to me that is doing this and doing it effectively. But I think your unique experience is that is so similar to most design engineers that I meet, like they just get thrown into the fire. Now, the ones that I've noticed, Robert, and I don't know if you've had experience with this, the students I've worked with that that are on engineering teams, like with the SAE doing like solar cars or Hyperloop pods or rockets, they throw themselves into the fire at university and then they get hired really quickly because they're doing more complex work. Um, But I think you're unique because you've done, you've gone this journey exactly like a lot of hardware engineers have gone and, and, and you've done this. Well, um, I would like to go back to the subscribers because 
Okay. Well, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but no, please. I would like to make it clear that uh, for me, uh, okay, subscribers are important, but I'm going to explain why. It's not because I would like to be popular, but I understand. to make better videos, yes, you need numbers because that's what is helping me to be able to talk to experts and companies because otherwise yes. they would not talk to me. Right. And uh, this is what I always try to tell people uh, to subscribe because because without them, without these right. subscriptions, I can't make better videos. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I am just dipping my feet into this entrepreneurial world, world, world excuse me, <laughs> into this entrepreneurial world. And I'm finding out quickly that um, I'm really grateful that early on a few companies have trusted me to sponsor the podcast because I have to pay for production and buy a nice sure microphone and lighting and all of those things, right? And I can only do that with the help of companies like Keysight, Transline, and Signal Integrity Journal. And and there's others that are interested. So I have a different business model. In your business model, you need those subscribers and you need ways to monetize so you can keep doing it. Exactly. And it's not like in the beginning you're making, it's really out of passion and wanting to truly bring value, but it takes a minute <laughs> to be profitable doing that. But I think you and I share this passion for helping, you know, people suffer, right? This is hard to go through and to see people, it feels sometimes like unnecessarily going through, like you said earlier, it's like they kept asking the same question. So how do we, in a scalable way, help point engineers to solutions. Oh, I let me go back to, so when I talk to say, or learn from someone at Northrop Grumman, what they're asking for, which is sort of like you, they would like engineers to have some experience with software, PCBs, you know, um, they also want them to be able to make a good slide deck, be able to work as a team and all of these things because they have certain criteria and they know when they hire that candidate, they'll be productive in six months instead of a year and a half. And the production cycle is so fast, you know, and rigorous and the speeds and frequencies are going up. So they need them to jump in and be productive. They can't take a whole bunch of time training somebody on the job. And as you mentioned, senior hardware engineers, for whatever reason, one, I think they're just too dang busy Exactly. Um, to, to stop and help. And they are also expensive, you know, who yeah. is going to be more expensive than I don't know. Yeah, you bet. And so again, I think that's a place where you're really filling the gap. And I don't do that by teaching, I do that by connecting people to the industry and resources as fast as I can. So you and I are doing it in different ways, but I think we share that that um, idea, like let's take some of that pain away of that learning curve. Um, again, for our audience, make sure to check the show notes. I put links to all of Robert's sites below. I think you'll really enjoy it. Some of it is free, some of it is paid. Um, 
And so anyways, make sure you go check out the show notes to access all that. I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, so during COVID, so let's fast forward to now. During COVID, did you see any unusual, like maybe more online training because people were at home or like what happened to you in your business in this last two and a half years? Mm, I think there was not really much mm. change. Maybe what I've seen is uh, people more interested uh, about uh, how to work in cloud and from different places and and trying to figure out how to manage libraries properly because now libraries are somewhere in the office but they work from home and yeah. so this is maybe i think what i've seen during the covid but i yeah. i don't think there was like higher demand on you know watching online courses or something okay yeah the the uh, online libraries was something i saw too like oh shoot especially if it's a really secure library that unless they can have a secure VPN or whatever. They were trying to figure that out. Um, so let's talk a little bit about just overall across the industry, what you think, and not just your company, like other places that are maybe offering hardware design and development education, um, We've talked about what may have caused some of that demand is because it was missing. There was a gap, right? Um, as you fast forward from when you started, say, 2010, what kind of trends have you noticed? Where do you see, besides FedEvil, maybe places where the industry as a whole is beginning to um, bring forward professional Training, I mean, tr training for professional design engineers. Uh, okay, so I think no, like in 2010 up to 2015, it was still kind of uh, possible to um, design even complex boards based on some rules. You even didn't need to like understand too much what is really happening. Mm -hmm. But what I've seen, like maybe from 2015 or 16, changing is there are these higher and higher speed interfaces. Yeah. And now it's becoming more and more important to actually know what you are doing, to understand uh, how these signals are going to travel, why you should place their vias, or how you should properly route the tracks, uh, and why. Because when it was a little bit slower, then uh, your board could work even if you made a couple of uh, not right. very optimal decisions. Right. But as as going like to these higher frequencies, it's going to be more important to to do it right. And uh, and that's what uh, I uh, see. Like I think now it's higher demand to understand. Uh, what is really happening? Not maybe only like 
I would like to learn high speed design or something. So you mm -hmm. tell people like, okay, do it like this, uh, use this uh, gap and space, use this track, do this uh, length matching or something. But they also would like to understand uh, right. why they should be doing it this way. Right. And they need to understand why they should be de yeah. doing it this way. Yes, so understand the enough? principles and the guidelines, not just, exactly. oh, go do this and don't know why you're doing this. And but sometimes you'll work. get, yeah, it well, it work. used to work. And then you'll apply the principles that you were using before successfully. And all of a sudden something breaks and you don't know why. And then you're like, shoot, you know, so to understand those principles to me is super important, right? In which I think, um, so go on about where you think engineers are learning some of these principles besides FedEvil Academy. I try to make videos on these topics. I really hope, yes. uh, I, I don't want to like advertise my, my YouTube videos, but uh, I have this great opportunity to talk to very clever people. And uh, I know um, some comments uh, under my videos, they say like, oh, this video is too long because it's one and a half hour. But that's the, I think that's the difference. Like some people, they just would like to know how to do it. Yeah, What is the right. results? But there is, and, and you can make 10 minute video on this or even five minute right. video. Right. But you will not understand uh, the essentials, what is really happening. And you really need right. one and a half hour uh, long videos yes. to explain what is happening yes. there. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do now. I I know other people, they also uh, create YouTube videos on uh, very advanced topics. Uh, but uh, I'm, again, I consider myself being uh, very lucky that the some of my videos, they actually also get views. So so really the engineers what needs these videos, they really watch them. Uh, sometimes happen that YouTube algorithm, if you are like very small or if you have a very small mm -hmm. channel, uh, yes. you, you can be like really good expert. You can create a really great video, but if YouTube will decide that yeah. it's not going to promote the video, then absolutely. Uh, people are not going to watch it. And that's what is like very, very sad. And I, and that's why yes. I consider myself to be like very lucky because YouTube algorithms sometimes like find people to watch my videos. Well, and but, but I think you started at a really good time too, because now I feel like everybody's trying YouTube and the algorithms change all the time. And we don't know what that means exactly. And you have an audience, so they want to promote what's known good content too. So you're in that lane, which is pretty exciting. But um, it's still. Uh, go ahead. Shall I? Okay, it's still complicated because I need to point out that uh, now there are there are first there are many professionals like professional studios are making YouTube videos. So I'm not a professional, and I need to compete with these kind of production teams, yeah, what are creating these videos. And plus, um, YouTube makes money on advertisement. So they promote mostly the kind of videos which will make them money. And educational videos are not on the top of their list. I see. 
so that's that's like second really big problem in making YouTube videos. Right. Yeah, I, it's it's an interesting dynamic, and it's not an easy one. Well, um, some trends I notice it's like, and again for listeners, go check out Robert's stuff. I think you'll gain so much, and not only that. One thing that impressed me about your network, Robert, is all the engagement you get. People talk back. And not everybody has that, including moi, you know, because I'm usually just pointing to something else. You're teaching them something really concrete and valuable. And you've really built an engaged community. And I know that feedback you're getting helps you to create better, well-tuned content. But I don't know any, I don't know anyone that's really successful in this space. However, what I have noticed is even the sponsors that I mentioned of the show, one reason I chose them and we're working together is because they create a lot of educational content, you know, like, um, um, you know, I did videos with Rogers last week and Eric Bogatin, which he's the, you know the whole Signal Integrity Academy and everything he's taught for years because he teaches principles and then he measures to prove. Um, and then Rogers uh, did a thing last week. They have huge technical resources. So does Keysight. Um, Transline is my new one. Signal Integrity Journal is full-time providing either for free. So I see companies realizing, oh, shoot, I think they use it as a marketing channel, but that I feel like since you started to now, the quality of technical educations that companies are offering seem to be a little more valuable. And of course they want to sell their products, but they don't seem as promotional. It depends on who it is, right? And so I've appreciated these companies are investing and realizing there's an opportunity to educate. So that's one thing I've observed over the last, say, five to eight years is companies are realizing, oh, shoot, um, we we need to do this. And again, they use it as a marketing channel. It, let's not pretend that's not happening. It is. But I think the quality of it's better. It's so a, It's same for me. I, I also use it for marketing. Otherwise, right, right. How, of course we do. I would be selling courses you know and well, if i don't we, sell courses then i can't make free videos it's all right connected together yeah exactly but again the winner seems to be the hardware engineer and you can't make videos without having revenue so th i think that's okay i think everybody understands that i know that ipc um has also started you know putting more investment into their educational resources um, PCEA is a is a um, a group that is trying to provide a community and more. So I I feel like more and more people are realizing it. I just think you were way ahead of the curve, and I think you represent what most designers go through that painful learning curve. So I think you can relate to them because. You've taken all the, you came from the school of hard knocks, you know, you learned by doing. And I think that's 
a big reason. Plus, you're humble and you're kind. I don't and know. You, <laughs> yes, you are. I can say it. You don't have to say it about yourself. Um, and I think really people appreciate that you're authentic and kind and humble and you're giving really a lot of value. And I think people appreciate that about you. So, um, so when we were talking earlier, the thing that really made me want to have you on and share you with the ecosystem community is we talked a little bit about Udemy, but I know over the last four years or so, you have built your own FedEvil platform. So can you talk, I mean, I don't want to, let's talk about whatever you can talk about or you want to talk about that platform, sort of what it is, why you did it. And then, and then after that, let's talk a little bit about where you're going with it. So first of all, your own platform. Why'd you do that and not just use, I, I get that Udemy was taking a lot of the profit, but what else made you think? Cause that's hard to build your own platform. So what made you want to do that? Um, several reasons. <laughs> uh, of course, one of the reasons are money. <laughs> of course. I, I, I'm right. not going to talk about that side. I think everyone knows this. But uh, I've seen opportunity uh, because uh, when I was starting with uh, teaching online, I, uh, I didn't want to use, for example, different platform because I wanted to build my own brand. I wanted yes. people uh, to go to my own website. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted uh, my own space. Yes. with the courses and uh, once we actually we had this for my myself so I had no reason to actually create the platform the way that also other people could use the platform same way as I do it so mm -hmm. this was like second reason uh, to give opportunity other people to sell online courses under their own brands mm -hmm. and then uh, then I wanted to create a place where uh, where all these uh, you call it industry experts, but all these clever people who already have the knowledge could yes. actually share it in one place. Because I talked to different people, Steve Sandler, Eric Bogatin, and you know all these people, um, Keith Armstrong and Min Hang and other people. And uh, many of them, they already they are already doing this. Yeah. But everyone is doing this by themselves. And it's like super hard to, you know, sell these courses. It's super hard to find people who are going to buy it. And uh, very often, this can be exactly the same people. People who buy courses from, from Eric Bogatin can also buy courses from Steve Sandler because they teach about different things. Right. So why don't create one place where I people see. can go and, and just buy courses from all people, so all these experts, so they don't have to, everyone doesn't have to you know, mm -hmm. look for their own audience and they can focus on what they do the best and not doing marketing or something right so that's that's like my biggest um, 
biggest vision how this platform should work. So everyone who would like to learn about embedded systems, programming, hardware, then they just would go on one place and there would be all the professional courses from these experts to learn. But that's far away. I'm not there <laughs> yet. <laughs> well, you're lots closer. So for our audience, um, Robert gave me a little sneak peek, you know, behind the curtain a little bit. And that is 100% why I needed to have him on today. Because again, I my goal here is to help educate, connect, and equip you. And this is a great platform, even though it's like having your, you know, making your own piece of art, you're never happy with it exactly. But I'm telling you, it's, it's really a great central place to go. And actually, I'll add that to the show notes too. I, I actually podcasted with Steve Sandler last week and we mentioned it, um, but I'll make sure to put that link below. That is so nice. You can go to one place. And I, I assume you'll make it searchable, like signal integrity or power integrity, or, you know, how will people search that? Or is that something you're still yeah. working on? So right now we only have a couple of courses, uh, but I uh -huh. think, uh, uh, for example, very interesting are like EMC courses. Mm -hmm. Steve, the, Steve has the course about how to measure. I was like very surprised. I, I watched their courses. Uh, yeah. Okay. Not all the content because it didn't yes. take a long time. But I was very surprised like how complicated it can be actually learn to properly use scope. Yeah. And understand what is on the scope and if you are doing it right. If if you are really measuring the signal what is on the board. Right. So uh, these are the courses what I have there right now. Eric Eric is doing the signal integrity but uh they have their own place. So, yeah. Speaking yeah, yeah. of which, sorry, shameless plug here. Um, I have to do this because we're talking about Eric on the ecosystem website, which will be linked below. Eric and Teledyne LaCroix um, gave us a free download that you can go get there and you can sign up for our community, our newsletter, but they'll give you Eric's book. So thank you to Eric and Teledyne LaCroix. You can get 90 free days of Signal Integrity Academy, which is like over 200 hours of Eric Bogatins for free. And then you can download his 100 plus um, PCB design guidelines, which is what we're talking about um, to minimize signal integrity. So sorry for the commercial, but I want you to go get that. And we're going to keep putting good stuff and we're going to keep putting, you know, Robert and I are trying to figure out how we combine forces so I can get you plugged in to, to that, but we're still figuring that out. Okay. Sorry for the commercial. Um, yeah. So Eric, Steve, so much good, but you have a few courses now. You're going to be building it out more. Um, what else are you doing? or whatever you can tell us. I'm sure you don't want to tell us stuff you're in the middle of, but what else, you know, you've explained this is your vision of having a central place where you can go search. So it's not just Robert Ferranic's materials. It's these experts that have spent decades learning how to use a scope properly, measure properly, you know, what else? 
What else are you working on? Uh, the YouTube videos are taking me a lot of time. I don't really have much time to do anything else. Uh, uh, running the company is taking, yes, uh, I don't know, quarter of my time and 75% is YouTube. I see. Uh, uh, again, I, I think some people, they don't realize how much work it actually is, but I... My wife, she was just telling me the other day, like, why don't you record in your office, in our house? We can't do nothing. We have to be quiet. I can't listen my TV. <laughs> and so basically always very often when I go back from work, because I'm currently in Europe, then I recording in the evening. So I just, I just work all day and then I'm recording in the evening. So it's like... And then when I record, for example, interview, then I go back to work and I have to go through all the materials, cut them down, prepare the video, and it's never-ending story. But I really enjoy it because, especially these interviews, uh, I learn a lot. And uh, Yeah, me too. And, and I'm so happy that I can make these videos uh, with all these people, people, and I can ask them all the questions. What, what I, what I really wanted to know the right yes. answer. And yes, <laughs> I agree. Like I benefit and learn more talking to these people. And I'm not a hardware engineer, so I think those conversations, being able to ask. I try to ask those questions, but I think really in some ways you're more equipped because you're a hands-on engineer. But um, I love those conversations. I learn something in every every conversation. And so uh, Steve Sandler says I'm an engineer by osmosis. <laughs> Probably. Um, uh, you know, I'm not and very I clever. Understand I, I'm not very clever. That's that's why I have I have so many questions which are not very you know well, sophisticated. <laughs> well, we all like we stand on all of these people's shoulders, and it's it's great that we're here, and it's actually great that we share them, you know, with the design engineer community. So I love that. Um, let me see what else I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Here it goes. Where do you see online education going, say, in the next five years? Mm. I got gotcha, you, didn't I? <laughs> I think that's a big no, question. Yeah, on I think on one side. I see even like uh, universities doing and moving uh, or doing some activities in online space. Mm -hmm. So this is, I think, uh, something what will keep growing. So they will have the on-site uh, classes and they will also do these online trainings or online classes. And then uh, I see more and more people are interested to make some extra money on uh, doing these uh, classes and share their experience. But yeah. it's not so easy. As mm -mm. Sometimes they find out it's like very difficult and, yeah. and they just go away from this. Yeah. And about students, uh, 
I think because of the COVID, it become kind of like normal to use uh, PC for education, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, if I think if there are good courses and if there are good instructors, people will uh, buy these courses because they will be cheaper than maybe um, universities. And they still can learn a lot and it can help them to maybe get better job and not only get better job, but maybe also get better in their jobs. Absolutely. So I think it's going to be, um, it's going to grow. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I do agree um, that it's been a trend for a while. I just think COVID sped it up. Mm-hmm because we were forced to go online to do work and learning and engineers. I mean, you talked about high speed, high frequency, how the rules of thumb and the principles are changing as the speeds and frequency go up. And so it's not even optional anymore. So, and that is, I don't think so readily available even in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So, that's a very good point exactly I was thinking about this that there is maybe not like you can have in-person training or you can have online training very often maybe what can happen you can't really get all this information or any learn this in your job because it may be something new what your boss right. asks you to do or because your company I would like to design new, better, more high-speed boards or something, so you have to learn it. Well, I know that you do something that I agree with, and this is also really transformed, I think, during COVID, is, say, with in-person events, there was a big chunk of people that were left out because... Maybe they work for a small company or they're a freelancer and they didn't have a budget or they work for a company and they couldn't get budget or they couldn't travel or they couldn't take time off or, and now the rise of online events out of necessity, those numbers of people that were able to attend, I think we open that up to help people develop their skills where normally they would have a variety of things with prevent them from going right and you know personal or professional constraints and now I feel like we've widened the scope of what we can offer people and I like that the altruistic the altruistic purposeful part of me likes that we're allowing more people to access that I think it's still you were at embedded world last week i i was at ims in denver tell us real quick i don't want to take a lot of time on this but what was your sense of the attendance at embedded world and just people getting back to live events super cool it was super cool i uh, when i uh, went there i uh, i really didn't know what to expect but it was exactly as it used to be before COVID. And uh, yeah, of course, m- much more people already knew about me. And uh, so I had a lot of fun, like, uh, and I-, I met so many great people and we chat. And 
So it was like super interesting. Yeah, IMS was sort of the same way. I hadn't been to IMS in a long time because I was in a different market segment, but I spent about 10 years as part of that community. But it was, um, they had had an event last year, but I knew it was only about 25, 30% of their normal attendance. But this year, it wasn't 100%, but it felt like it was 100%. And everybody was like, they'd seen their long lost friends, including me. Like I hadn't seen these people in probably seven years. And so it was like a giant reunion. So I can't imagine with how you've grown, even in the last couple of years, people's like, it's Robert. (laughs) So, and it is, and people are so nice. And so there still is a place for that. You know, whenever you can go, I would highly recommend it. I'm sure you would too. But the uh, scalability of online education, including universities, I think is a real opportunity that we've all learned together. And um, I think it makes the community bigger because we can include more people. And I like that. I agree. That was, yeah. Um Okay, now for the for the um, let's leave something with the people that have listened or watched this conversation. So, if you could give a couple tips to a brand new PCB designer, or hardware engineer, you know, in the first one to three years of their career. Looking back on your whole journey, what tips would you give them? Mm, I think it would depend uh, if they are like finishing university and maybe going Mm. to look for a new job. So for these uh, people, I really would highly recommend to work on projects. So they can come up with their own projects or they can join existing open source projects or something, but Mm. work on projects because uh, when you will be looking for a job you can say like oh this is the project i was working on and it's not only uh, telling about you that you really like uh, doing electronics and all the things because you are doing this in your own time but you are also motivated doing this so it's like yeah very very good uh, these are very good points which you can get when you show your own projects during uh, job interviews and uh, if uh, if you are preparing uh, for a new job or if you just if you are just starting a new job then uh, i think it's uh, super important to understand the processes what i was uh, talking about a little bit earlier which we didn't have when i was starting uh, I see um, many people when they are starting with hardware design, they don't think this is important. And when I say processes, it's for example, release, board release procedure. Like these are the steps which you need to follow when you are releasing a board. Some people say, "Ah, I don't need this. I will remember it. You will not remember it. There are many steps and you really don't want to miss any of these steps when you are releasing your expensive boards, okay? And if you miss these steps, you can make mistakes, and then your boss will be like, oh, you, your design is bad. You don't want to do it this way. 
Yeah. And uh, again, when I'm talking about processes, is also uh, how you keep your projects uh, tied up. Like you need to be able to go back and find a specific version. You need to be able to find data sheets. You need to be able to find uh, specific schematics. You know, all these things very quickly, you need to find it. And this is something what, when you are starting with hardware design, you ignore it because you think hardware design is about creating schematic. It's not only about creating schematic. Creating right. schematic is this small part of developing boards, yeah? Uh, so I think these are kind of tips what I would like to say. And uh, and right now, maybe uh, it's it's even easier for everyone to start because when I was starting in 2010, 2000, oh, 2010, no, in 2000, <laughs> it was very long time ago. Yeah. So when I was starting, starting in 2000 or 2002, then there was not much information on the internet. So I couldn't find a video yeah. which was explaining why, I don't know, uh, it's good to have stitching vias or something like this. Right. But now, go on internet. You don't have to watch my YouTube channel, okay? If you think <laughs> you can find better sources, go there and find these kind of videos so you understand why you are doing some of these things, why it is important, how it works, then it you will become better hardware design engineer once you understand once you understand how it works. Okay. So I think yeah, this is what I would recommend. Those are really good tips. The thing I would add to what you were just saying, go online and find it. There's also junk out there. So you know, and so I would say watch maybe multiple sources and you'll see the good stuff. You'll see it over and over again. Um, so be careful that you just watch one and go out and apply it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I and I think that's why Robert and I, I think both do this where we get the experts and we try to curate good sound knowledge because as you know, <clears throat> you can take a bad idea and integrate it and it might work for a little bit or one design and then and then you don't know oh wh why did it work that time and not this time and so take the time to to check multiple sources <laughs> I, I completely forgot about this because i don't really watch like many other videos about hardware design i don't want to get influence from and them. there's articles and but, then Google's rewarded them because they're old. And then it's like, oh, bad idea. That applied back then, not now. <clears throat> and so you'll see people infighting. And I'm like, guy, if I was just starting out, how would I know who's right? Mm -hmm. Well, I try to find really good sound sources, but I'd also check that you're hearing the same thing from several, not just one YouTube or one article, you know, and I think really good trade journals like signal integrity journal where they peer review it that's also good mm -hmm. um so yeah. anyways that's my yeah, addition I, to your thought yeah i think there are like maybe two different or there may be like two different kind of uh, videos what to be careful about as you mentioned maybe older videos yes i i learned so much stuff in the older days what i had to unlearn how Eric would say. Yeah, let's not <laughs> and, do that. And then 
second thing is there are many people who would like to promote themselves same as what i'm yeah. doing what everyone is doing but sometimes they are like super young they don't really have like yeah. much experience yeah and they try to make this kind of professional videos even if uh, they are not like completely sure maybe what may be right so yeah, yeah. Be, um, maybe watch a couple of videos and then come up with your own um, your own opinion for this right. right but i would like to also say uh even now there are there are people and expert uh, experts and they don't agree between themselves the other thing i would say i would add to that is don't be afraid to read even some older stuff right that are, are principle led you know i try to put up <clears throat> you know, like Eric Bogatin's author page on Amazon or Steve Sandler's author page. When I find people that have published and is pre pretty widely accepted or it's gone under the scrutiny of peers, then I try to put those things out. Um, so I would recommend that too, because then you get more of those principles underneath. So that's another tip. And We'll keep sharing that stuff with you. So, Robert, thank you so much for sharing your fascinating journey. Congratulations on everything you've done on FedEvil. And I think you've worked really hard to make it quality and accurate. And I think you've learned the hard way. And then you're generously giving that away and building a business, of course, Um that has just been so helpful to so many. So I really appreciate you. And I thank you for coming on the podcast today. And I look forward to staying in touch. And uh, I hope you'll come back again as you develop more courses and things on the, the FedEvil Academy website. Thank you very much, Judy. And I would like to thank you very much to you for watching uh, or everyone for watching. And uh, yeah, I wanted to just add uh even i'm learning every day so yeah don't don't stop learning new things sometimes it may be embarrassing like i said something three years ago and it's not true anymore but yeah that's how it goes so thank you <laughs> thank you very much you're welcome thank you again to our listeners i've put loads of good stuff in the show notes for you including robert's linkedin profile, all his YouTube videos, FedEvil Academy. And so please go take a look at that and support Robert because he's doing amazing things. And we'll be sure to have him back when he's got more courses online from other experts. And we'll keep bringing you, you know, and updating you on this so you can continue a really good sound education. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We will see you next time. Until then, remember to always stay connected to the ecosystem. Oh, 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 oh,